0: This morning, we're beginning a brand new series called The Three R's. The three R's are redeem, reconcile, and restore. And these three are foundational to our faith. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the fact that we are redeemed by Jesus Christ. When you redeem something, you go to the shops, you pay money. In a very real way, you redeem it, you buy it back. And you are able to take it out of the store without being tackled by security. Because you have redeemed it, you've bought it, you purchased it. In the Bible, in First Corinthians chapter number six, verse 20. This is a foundational verse. It says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Because you were bought with a price. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that Jesus Christ has bought you with a price. So go out and glorify God with your body. Use the opportunities, use the resources, use the gifts that God has given you to give Him glory. Just as Jesus has redeemed us, We've been redeemed not to live the old way any longer. In fact, quite literally, we have been bought with a price so that we can live a very different life. But throughout the course of life, you must begin at the starting point. It's very difficult, in fact, I would say impossible, to get to a successful end of your life without going through the correct steps along the way. It begins with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. From there, you begin to grow and develop. God, through the Holy Spirit, convicts you and guides you and and shows you the way that you're to move forward. And then through that, you begin to, to serve and to glorify God in every aspect of these things. It's much like if you went out orienteering. It's impossible to go out to be successfully orienteering if you skip the step number 3 along the way and you say well I'm just going to skip to the very last waypoint it doesn't work that way does it you must start off with every step along the way to do it correctly but more often than not we like to skip steps we like to, to jump along. God, just bless my life. Give me everything that I need. Make my life joyful and happy. And I want this message and this series to be very, very encouraging to you. We're going to talk about the fact that God loves you and has purpose for your life. And he has redeemed you. He's bought you with a price. And it was a very expensive price. But the purpose of this series is not just to make you feel good and to boost up your self-image, Is to come alongside you and to say the Word of God gives us teaching so that we can change our lives. We are called a new creation in Christ. We're called to be new people in Christ. And we have to follow the correct order and the correct biblical order we find laid out in the Word of God. Some of you in high school are going through, and you're going to be doing exams. When I was in high school, I had a teacher that would be it was a Christian school we went to, and the teacher, before we would sit a test, she would pray a prayer that was a very frustrating prayer because my prayer when I was in high school was, God, please bring to memory all the answers of the, for the test. Please give me every single answer and make sure it's Correct. Please bring all the things that I did not study to my mind. And my teacher would would pray, and she knew exactly what she was doing. She would pray, God, please bless these students, keep them them focused, and please bring to remembrance everything that that they've studied. (laughs) She knew exactly what she was praying, and she would pray that every single test. That's why I just did mediocre in school, because of her prayers. But there is a better way of living life rather than just going through the motions. The Bible teaches us there's a correct course to follow. And far too often and for far too long, we have neglected to recognize and to live our lives as God created us to live. Therefore, today, I'm going to challenge you to make a commitment. To make a commitment to be the person that God created you to be. Not to be the person that society says that you are to be or the way that you're supposed to look or to act. I am going to challenge you to be the person that God created you to be. To no longer live and continue in a self-defeating life. Let me ask you something today. Do you struggle with self-acceptance and maybe self-worth? Then I hope that today is an encouragement to you. In 1 Corinthians 6.20 again. For you were bought with a price... So glorify God in your body. Every single Sunday, we have a principle. And we have a principle today. Our principle for today is this. I have been bought with a price, so I will glorify God. That's a pretty simple principle. Because of the price that I've been paid, that's been paid for my behalf, because of what's been done on my behalf, therefore, I will glorify God. I'm going to challenge you commit to that today. To put in your mind, I'm going to look at see what the Word of God says in the Scriptures this morning, and I'm going to commit to turn that around as an opportunity to give God the glory that He deserves. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you, open them up to the book of Titus. Titus chapter number 2 is what we're going to be today. The book of Titus, to give you an overview, is written by a man named the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul started churches throughout um, the, the um, I guess modern-day Turkey, and he also trained and commissioned others to go out. And Titus was a young pastor who was commissioned to go and to lead a church on an island called Crete, which is in the Mediterranean. And this church was not an easy assignment because it was a church filled with some very, very bad doctrine, very bad teachings of the Word of God. And this bad doctrine that was being taught on the island of Crete basically was well, you cannot be Christians you, uh, b- b- in yourself. You have to go back to the old ways. You have to go back to the old Jewish ways and add on Christianity to it. And with that is that's not what we find in the New Testament at all. That's not what we find in the teachings of Jesus and certainly not the, t- the teachings of the New Testament. We are not to go back to the old ways. Thank God we don't have to go back to the old sacrificial system. I am glad my stomach is far too queasy to watch a a lamb being sacrificed. But what we're challenged here is to go back into the word of God and to find out what he has done for us. And Paul challenges Titus, this young pastor, to go in and to face the opposition of this bad doctrine and to ultimately lead them into good works. And the only way to get to good works is some steps we're going to look through this morning. In verse John chapter 5 verse 13, it gives us, and I like to use this verse as the purpose for the entire reason why the Bible is written. It says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life. That last line on the screen, that you may know that you have eternal life. That brings a great deal of confidence. This morning, just a few minutes before the service started this morning, my wife received a message from her mother who lives in the U.S. Her grandmother is elderly and has been unwell, and she received a message this morning that there's a good chance she won't make it through the day. And that's a sad text to get. My wife began to cry, and of course, as a good husband, I comforted her. But it's a sad thing when someone's passing away. Do you know what gives us hope? It's not the fact that we just hope that she's comfortable. It's the fact that we know for a fact that that my wife's grandmother, her name's Catherine Wagner, she knows Jesus Christ as her Savior. And as that verse says, I write these things To you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I know that Catherine Wagner has placed her trust upon Jesus Christ as her Savior. And therefore, we have confidence moving forward that we know that we have eternal life. And we know with confidence that when she closes her eyes in death, it will be sad for us. But she'll open them in the very presence of God, which is exciting. And that's the confidence that we want to have in our lives. In the here and now, but also for the future. The Titus, chapter 1, verse 16. Paul is encouraging this young pastor, Titus, and says this, talking about the people on the island of Crete. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Talks cheap. They are detestable, disobedient, and here's the key, unfit for any good work. Someone said this, as germs are to the physical body, So false teaching is to the spiritual body, the church. Going into the next chapter, chapter 2 of the book of Titus, verse number 1. It says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Remember, they just said that the people with the bad doctrine, the bad teaching, were unfit for good works. And he's saying, be a model of good works. In other words, show publicly what's happened inside your heart. That in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and in sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And he goes on from there and gives probably my favorite passage in the Bible. I, I've used this a number of times for myself personally in times of discouragement, times of uncertainty. And in verses 11 through 15, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Verse 13, Waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are, hear that word again, zealous for good works. And in verse 15, he gives a declaration. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's go back and read verse 14 again. And verse 14 is our outline for our message this morning. And we're going to use this as an outline to go through the different steps in order to get to, ultimately, good works. When one day, when we stand before God on the judgment, not the judgment of sinners, but the judgment for our works and our deeds as people that know Jesus Christ as Savior, He will look at us and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your Lord. Verse 14 says, Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So let's put this into correct order this morning, and let's look at the four different steps that we can find in that that redemption or being redeemed, being bought with a price by Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, and now the Bible says... That Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father, preparing a place in heaven for you and for me. We look at this price that was paid, is the first point. You ever ask yourself, and maybe if you are very studious, you've done the, the math figures on this, how much are you worth? If you went into an insurance agent, and they would tell you with life insurance, you need this many hundreds of thousands of dollars, you have this many debts, you're worth this much, or if you go into a bank trying to get a loan, they will quickly tell you how much they think you are worth or potentially worth. And it's quite incredible when you begin thinking through how expensive you are. And I looked up some very, I find them, Quite astonishing and somewhat discouraging figures, in 2011, it's on on the screen for you, it said raising a child in Australia up to the point when they finish their education, that's through university, is $406,000. And of course, kids are expensive. So when they whine to you and they tell you, you never do anything for me, just remind them, I'm keeping a tally. I'm going to give you a bill at the end. We are incredibly expensive. And, and granted, that's just a, a figure. But the Bible says, who gave himself for us to redeem us? Jesus Christ, in ver- that's the beginning of verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us. He gave himself to buy us back. If nothing else, if you don't get anything else out of today, I hope this is a challenge to you and an encouragement because often we go through life thinking, I am worthless, I am nothing, I have no great value. You were so valuable that God, the creator of the universe, sent his son Jesus to die for you. That gives you incredible worth. Verse 11 of that same passage says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Salvation of God is made for all. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he died for all people so that all could come into a relationship with him. Whether or not you choose to do that is up to you, but the gift has been bought and paid for. You have, the price has been paid. It's a matter for us to receive that wonderful gift of salvation. And that is the very essence of the word gospel. The word gospel means good news. It is the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, it says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. What that says is he fulfilled the prophecies of old by dying for our sins. And verse number four, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You see, Jesus didn't just make this up as he went along. In accordance with the Scriptures means that from the prophecies of old, they were looking forward to the coming Messiah, the coming Savior of the world. Jesus didn't just accidentally pay the price. A number of years ago, I visited the U.S. and visited Los Angeles with a friend of mine. And we got off the, on the, off the plane and we got into a shuttle bus and there was a very big intimidating driver behind in, in the bus. And it was a shuttle bus that took about 15 people to different motels and then dropped them off along the way. And as we went along, we were one of the last people along the way and we were tired and this man got out of the bus in front of our motel and he took the bags and put them there. And I said, thank you very much. I grabbed my bags and he looked at me. And he looked at me with the look of, you better do something next. Because he says, and I'll never forget the words that he says. It was such a kind way of intimidating me. He says, traditionally in the U.S. we tip. And he was a very big, intimidating guy. And so I pulled out my wallet, and it was dark out there. And I pulled out $20 for what should have been a couple-dollar tip. And I'll never forget overpaying afterwards going, Oh, I way overpaid that guy. Jesus Christ knew from the very beginning before he created the world that he was going to have to die on the cross for you and for me. He knew the the price that he was going to pay, and he still went through with it. He wasn't like afterwards going, oh, by a regret, like, oh, I overpaid for that person. He didn't do that at all. He looked at you and said, I paid the right price because you're valuable. You're worth the suffering on the cross. You're worth the death that I paid. That's the essence of the good news, the gospel. He paid a ransom that you and I could not afford on our own. In Mark 10.25, For even the Son of Man cannot to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. A price for sin that you can never pay on your own. You can't afford it. You can't earn it. A gift by the very definition of a gift is free. If you have to go and earn your gift, that's a wage. That's something you've earned because you worked for it. A gift of God, as this verse says, is the fact that you did nothing to deserve it. And that's a wonderful gift to receive. So first of all, we see a price that was paid. The second, we see that redemption brings confidence. We have new freedom because of Jesus Christ. Continuing on in that verse, it says, to redeem us from all lawlessness. In the Old Testament, the law is described as a burden to bear. You go through and you carry the burden of trying to fulfill the law of God. And you come up short. In fact, the very purpose of a law is not to show you what you're doing right, but to point out what you have done wrong. And the law of God without a redemption, without a payment, without a redeemer, is ultimately a horrible curse. But he says there to redeem us from all lawlessness. The word redeemed in the biblical sense means to set free by paying a price. Freedom cost God a great deal. That verse again in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. It cost a great deal to buy our freedom. But this freedom is a wonderful gift of God. You think about it in your own life. The fact that, let's use the illustration again of of, of my wife's grandmother. She's very ill. She will pass away, if not today, in the very, very near future. The wonderful freedom that we get to enjoy in, in 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 the grasp of death, knowing that we have been bought, and paid for. And oftentimes we think of that as something very distant and future, that someday I'll worry about that. So let's bring that back into the small scale, into today. What sort of freedoms can you enjoy even today? Not thinking about the death and eternity, but the freedoms that you get to enjoy today. The Bible says that when we repent, when we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus When we confess our sins, the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have freedom from sin. We're no longer underneath the umbrella of sin where we carry around those burdens. And that's a wonderful joy, and it leads us into our next bit of confidence. Redemption brings confidence not only in the price that was paid in the new freedom, but also in a pure position. This is, to me, exciting. A pure position. Because if we have been set free, if we are free in Christ, it's not like God looks at us and goes, remember when. Maybe you have a friend who, and I'll use you know, the parentheses, friend, who comes along and reminds you of all your mistakes. There's not really people you want to be around very much. People that that nudge you in the side and go, remember when? And they begin bringing up your past failures. The things that you would wish that no one would remember. You want to put them to the side and continually bring them up. Oftentimes in ourselves, as you begin to think of yourself, you begin to think in the negative. For a moment, I want to do a very, very short exercise. And it won't take but a moment. I want you to think of yourself and where you are right now and to use five words to describe or to to define who you are today. Who are you? Begin to define them. The Bible says in Titus 2.14, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Those five words that you just thought of, how many of them if you're really honest with yourself, are actually positive words. Maybe you thought to yourself, and I'll, I'll, I'll just be broad in general, you thought to yourself, ugly. Maybe you thought to yourself physical, you know, too tall, too short, I don't know, perfect. Now, what are the words that you think of when you begin to define yourself? More often than not, for me personally, unless I use the Bible as a filter to filter through what, the way that I see myself, I actually think negatively. I think of myself in the physical way, well, I'm not this, I'm not that, and there's always somebody else to compare yourself to. Or you think to yourself, and you begin to thinking through the past failures, and you think, oh, the things that I said, I wish I could just take them back and forget about them. The Bible says that He has purified us. He's made us clean. He hasn't just just covered over our sin and, in in other words, neglected to to look at it. The Bible says he washed us white as snow. And the reason why I find that incredibly encouraging is because if you've ever tried, just use rust as an illustration, you ever try to cover over rust? In my patio behind my house, there's a metal beam that runs along that, when I purchased the house, was lovely and cream-colored. And now, after about six months, the rust started coming through. And what I realized, and I probably would have done the same thing the guy did, he went and scrubbed over the rust and repainted it, and it looked beautiful. The problem is, it wasn't taken out. It wasn't. And someday, right before it falls away, I'll fix it but in our own lives I don't want my sin just to be washed over and covered over and ignored I want it to be dug out I want it to be washed clean and I want it to be purified and gone I always tell my kids in fact to the to almost almost their annoyance not quite almost have you washed your hands I'm always telling them, we wash their hands, they say, I'm not dirty, I'm clean. You can't see the germs, you can't see the, the filth that's on your fingers. Go wash your hands again. I'm always telling my kids that. And maybe in your household, you think about purifying yourself for people for his own possession. In your household, my grandmother had a house that she actually didn't live in. She had a house in California. And she lived in South Dakota, and, but she would a couple of times a year go and visit this house. And this house that she didn't live in had a good room. You ever had a grandmother have a good room? Maybe you still have it. And you're not even allowed to walk in the room, let alone breathe into the room, like absolutely stay away from it. And my grandmother had this beautiful sofa, this big dining table in there, and none of us could sit on it. And every one of us can understand the good room. The problem with the good room is that it never actually gets enjoyed by anybody. Of course, those of us who have young children, we understand that someday I'm going to have a good room. (laughs) And no one's going to walk in it. In our lives, we've been given a pure position. We don't, God doesn't look at us through the filter of all our sins and say, oh, despite all your filthiness, despite all your mistakes, despite all those things that you did that are absolutely filthy, I'm going to love you despite that. He looks at us and says, I've washed you white as snow. I see you no longer as the culmination of all your mistakes and failures. I see you as a new creature in Christ. The Bible says, Behold, we are a new creature in Christ. Behold, the old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And I like verses when it comes in and says, I no longer have to remember all of my past failures because I have been redeemed. So, redemption brings confidence in the fact that we have a, a price that was paid for us. We also have a new freedom in Christ, we have a pure position in Christ but also we have a divine purpose. I've said many times in the past, God didn't create us and then save us just to say, enjoy your life, I'll see you in heaven one day. He says, I want to have a relationship with you in the here and now. I want to be with you every step of the way. One of the most unkind things to do is to give someone directions and say, yes, it's just over there somewhere. It's much kinder to give step-by-step directions in life. And life is incredibly difficult, but I'm glad that we have the Savior who sent the Holy Spirit to come and be with us every step of the way. That verse continues on, and it says, Who are zealous for good works. Often in our, in our good works, we have a barrier before we can move forward. And the barrier is not God, is not His love, is not opportunity, is not money, is not your talents. The barrier comes back to you and me. And if we truly believe, as, as this verse says, that we have, as verse 14 says, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works? If we truly believe that, we're going to live different lives. Watch this video.
1: From the day I was born, I had one question that plagued my mind and it wouldn't leave me so in my late night hours I would try to find a kind of answer to this uncertainty of mine, do I have worth? So I did all I could to prove that I did, I practiced, I prepared and I performed. Sometimes I performed well and my worth appreciated and I knew it because others would tell me. They told me that I mattered, they told me that I was valued, they told me that I was seen. But there was a dark side to these reactions, a cause for personal retraction, a reason that instilled fear behind this glamorous veneer. Sometimes I failed. Sometimes I performed poorly and my worth depreciated. And I knew it because others would tell me. They told me that I messed up. They told me that I had no value. They told me that I was clearly seen. Or rather that my mistakes were. So the thought that plagued my mind, and never declined, it only increased like a plus sign. Do I have worth? At times it felt like I did, and other times it felt like I didn't, and I was crushed in the confusion of my chaos. Then that day came. I felt worthless, like a computer that kept crashing, like an engineer that kept rehashing, like a newlywed couple that kept clashing. I was worth worthless or at least I thought I was then these words hit me God doesn't make junk it was hard to admit because I was completely unfit I was about to lose it as I heard the words of this skit the words that would later acquit me God doesn't make junk a beautiful creature created in the hands of a magnificent creator and nothing will change this past, present, or future I have worth. I may fail a hundred times, I may fail a thousand times, I may fail 10,000 times, but nothing will change the truth that has liberated this heart of mine that I have worth. And today, I boldly proclaim the conclusion to the question that crushed me like cancer, that freed me when I found the answer, that I have worth. So do you, because God has created you with worth.
0: God doesn't make junk. I find that encouraging because often in the the darkness of night and the discouragement of night, you think through all your past failures and you think through, you think, God, what do you want me to do? But at the same time, begin coming things come to your mind of all your past failures. And they tell you, well, you can't do that and God says, I want to guide you, I want to lead you, I have a a ministry for you, I have an opportunity for you, and the, the lies of your mind say, I can't do that. If God has called you to do something, He will equip you to do it. He will give you the opportunities, He will give you the resources. I believe God doesn't set you up for failure, He sets you up for success but the success is not my success, it is his success. There's a couple of different points to think through about being zealous for good works. The first and foremost is the fact that you must have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's no use trying to serve God without first having a relationship with him, without first having a personal intimate relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That begins with repentance. It begins with acknowledging who you are. You are a sinner and you need a savior. You need someone who to pay the price to redeem you. And he comes along and he says, I love you. I care for you. I died on the cross for you. And He have a gift of eternal life for you. Can you receive it? And you say, yes, please, I'll receive that. Whether you pray a prayer or it's it's something you acknowledge in your mind, there's no magic words that you say, but it's the moment of salvation that you accept Jesus Christ as your savior. And that's the first step. As you begin to grow towards good works, you begin asking God, God, what do you want me to do? And I believe, besides the prayer of salvation, there's other prayers that God wants to answer. And one of those prayers that he wants to answer is when we sincerely come to him and say, God, what do you want me to do? I doubt. In fact, I don't doubt at all. I do not believe that God looks at us and goes, well, you're sincerely asking me what you want me to do. Hmm, I have no purpose for you. That's not what he says at all. He says, I created you as an individual with a, for and with a purpose. Therefore, I'm going to begin to revealing it to you. Our problem is, I want to know absolutely everything before I take the very first step of faith. And God says, I'm going to give you just enough information for today. So today as you go out, you may be praying a prayer, God, what do you want me to do? Because you already have a relationship with God, and you say, God, what do you want me to do? And you think that God's going to give you some big, huge revelation on day 482. This is what I want you to do. And like, no, He says, today I'm going to give you just enough information to be obedient today. Go out and do it. And then go out and do it. And before long, as you continue to go out and to do the things of God, you're so far along in the Christian life, you look back and you think, I could never imagine myself back here ever again because it came by small daily steps of obedience because you've been redeemed. And then the third is do what you know to do. If you read through the Old Testament God came in a mighty way to many people and he gave them incredible instructions to, to give them. Like he told Abraham, leave the Ur of the Chaldees, and go to a land I will show you. And he goes out. You realize there's a great period of time between the first time God speaks to him and the second time God speaks to him. God wasn't there walking him along every step of the way. He says, just go to a land I will show you. So Abraham, by faith, had to go out and begin walking. He just had to do what he knew to do until God gave him other directions otherwise. I think that's incredible, powerful for me even today is that rather than saying God I need something new from you every single day is God I'm just going to be faithful with with what you've already taught me to do and continue to do it until you tell me otherwise I hope that today brings a great deal of confidence in your life and helps you go out and to move forward in your relationship with God so that we can accomplish and be zealous for good works the points again is we, redemption brings confidence by, because of the price that was paid, the new freedom that we enjoy, the pure position in Christ, and ultimately the divine purpose that is given to us by Christ. Because you have been bought with a price, you can go out and glorify God. I have three questions to close this morning. And I hope that today and these three questions are something that will mull in your mind, not just something you'll think of now and then move on, but you can mold them over the course of the day or even this week. The first question is, according to God, who and what are you? And if you need to, a little way to rephrase that, you think, what are you? You think about that as, as, throughout this week when you're feeling discouraged, when you're feeling overwhelmed, you think to yourself, who am I? And begin to rehash what you know about the Word of God and get into the Word of God and find out what Scripture teaches you about who you are in Christ. The second is what is stopping you from living a life of confidence? I believe recognizing various areas of inadequacy in your life are powerful, recognizing areas of need in your life is powerful. That doesn't mean you have to stand up and say, everybody, here's all my problems. What it says is, you go out and you recognize it. If there's an area of sin in your life, repent and ask God to forgive you. If it's an area that you've been lying to yourself that you cannot do something or you cannot give, you don't have enough, then just begin to recognize it and say, God, this is an area of my life that I need your help. And it's a barrier for me moving forward. And the third question is, and this is something... That's kind of a, an easy one, I hope. What is one thing that you can apply today? What is one thing, maybe one of those four points, when it's the illustration that you heard, that you can begin to apply to your life today so that you can move forward and accomplish the plan that God has for you in your life? I hope that today is an encouragement for you. As, you, as we grow and develop this series, we're going to be looking at being reconciled in our relationship with God. We're looking at being restored in our relationship with God. And I hope that this is a powerful series for you as we move forward to become who God created us to be.